Welcome to Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You, and trust me, there's a lot of it. I'm Kathy. And I'm Meredith. And we're experts on teens. Yes, that's actually a thing. We've worked as college admission officers, prep school administrators, and have coached and mentored thousands of teens in our lifetimes. When it comes to teens, we've seen it all. Teens can be wild and wonderful all at once, but they can also frustrate the hell out of you. The good news is that we speak teen. So join us every week as we drop knowledge and interview teens and other experts to help you gain valuable insight into your teenager's world. Because parenting is hard AF, but we've got your back. Hey everyone, welcome to yet another episode of Shit Your Teenagers Won't Tell You. Um, One of the things that your teenagers will not tell you, because mostly they don't know yet, is what academic life looks like in college and, you know, maybe how that's different from high school uh, into the university setting. So today we have a very special guest who's going to shed some light on academics in college, how to navigate that terrain successfully, how to interact with professors. And I will do a little introduction. I'm going to save his name for last. <laughs> so, stay tuned. Uh, Get stay excited. Tuned. Suspense. <laughs> exactly. Born and raised in San Francisco. Our guest received a BS degree in zoology from UC Davis and a PhD in biology from UCLA. Do you want me to say the decade? <laughs> in the, in the oh, 70s. In the 70s. Following this, he did four years of postdoc research in neurophysiology focused on the development and regeneration of synaptic connections in the nervous system. He teaches human physiology at the introductory level to a large class of mostly first-year students and most of my friends, as well as bio and physiology at the advanced level to third and fourth-year students and a seminar class that introduces students to research with the faculty. But in addition to sort of his traditional teaching classes, he's had a long-standing interest in academic and pre-professional advising, serving as the executive director of a large central advising office in his school, at, in one of the largest colleges at USC, and was also the faculty director of several large undergraduate majors, including biological sciences, neuroscience, and environmental studies, and has won several awards for teaching and mentoring. He's also renowned in the state for elaborate Easter egg hunts. He owns 27 different kinds of hammers, the purpose of each he could articulate in great detail. Um, (laughs) He's never met a mollusk he doesn't like. And he's also, right, you love mollusks. I love mollusks. (laughs) And he's also my dad. He's my dad. And he's the dad to five children and stepchildren and eight grandchildren. And four of us went to USC and he is my dad, Dr. Albert Herrera. Hi, Dad. Welcome. Applause, applause, applause. Yay. Hello, Mayor. Hello, Kathy. Hello. Hi. Hi. So good to have you here with us. I'm so excited. I'm finally meeting you at long last. The I've man, been the really, legend. I've been, <laughs> I've been looking forward to meeting you and to this whole session. It, it, uh, I, I've listened to your other sessions, and I think they're great. And I'm just I'm proud to be part of it. My dad is kind of a legend. Dad, 41 years? That's a... I know, 41 years. I don't know how that happened. I mean, it seems like yesterday. You know how time like speeds up as you get older? Uh, yeah, it seemed like, yeah, 41 years. So uh, cool. I'm, yeah, I know. Yeah. And still going strong. Yeah, I kind of have it figured out by now. <laughs> <laughs> I would say. It's, I mean, it's really, I mean, it's pretty spectacular, honestly, to be teaching undergraduates for this mm-hmm. long because mm-hmm. inter- freshmen are hard <laughs> because, you know, as you know, intimately, like they're coming into college and it's like their first time in a large lecture setting, interacting with professors, you know, trying to be more adult in their presentation, right? So anyways, we're, that's why we're bringing you on this episode, because you have so much experience working well, thank you. Thank you. with that yeah. transition or helping, helping students. I'm sure a lot of what you're doing too is coaching them a bit, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think, personally, I think the high school years are, are more critical in terms of their future success. I, you know, I, I admire People like you and, and Meredith who have worked in that arena, uh, helping students at that level. Because once they get to college, it's 
yeah, there's a lot to know and a lot to learn, but the, the basics have already been imprinted on them by then. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love all the mutual complimenting happening. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's always affirming to do this podcast. I, I mean, um, if we can't get your dad to give us compliments, I don't know who we're going to get. Yes, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and the fact that I'm Meredith's dad has nothing to do with it. Okay, thank you. Completely objective. Yeah. Um, well, I guess just to kind of like launch in, Dad, one of the things that we get asked a lot about and that our families are really curious about is just sort of the difference in landscape between a high school academic setting, which they, you know, are, have at that point become pretty familiar with by the time they graduate and transitioning to college and university settings. And, you know, what's, what is similar or what is different? And, and all of a sudden they're having to interact with professors in a different way on a different schedule. And I'd love to hear, you know, we'd love to sort of get some of your takes on what are some general tips, suggestions for students entering college on how they can best navigate the academic space? Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow. That's a big question. Uh, It is very different. I mean, it's different academically, you know, college from high school. It's it's different uh, personally. Um, Boy, I mean, I guess I could summarize that by saying that it's much, much less structured in college. I mean, the structure of, of going to class every day and having a certain class schedule and your teachers giving you lots of homework and keeping track of your progress, uh, that's pretty much doesn't exist in college. In college, mm-hmm. it's, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's much less structured. You have many fewer classes, but a lot more work to do for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have uh, your, you, how you organize your day is kind of up to you. Yeah, you have you know you have class from nine to ten and, and eleven to one, eleven to twelve or whatever. So there's a little bit of structure, but what you do with the rest of your time is kind of up to you. And and then the other thing is is that academically it is way different than uh, than high school. Uh, the expectations that that you'll have in your classes, you may be the for example the the uh, pride yourself as I did uh, when I was a uh, uh, in high school. Uh, say for example pride yourself in being a good writer. But then you take the first freshman writing class in college and you you produce your best work and the instructor just rips it to shreds. Uh, Facts. <laughs> that happened yeah. to me. <laughs> uh, happened to me too. Yeah. So the expectations just are just way higher. Like in my classes, you know, memorizing and uh, uh, understanding the subject matter we're going over, uh, which might get you a four or five on an AP test, is just the beginning I mean, if, if you do that in my classes, maybe you can get a C if you do it really well. But if you want something better than that, you're going to have to be able to, say, uh, for example, apply your knowledge to solve problems that we never talked about in the <laughs> class that you won't find in textbooks or on the Internet uh, that I just make up, you know, for example. I love that Meredith is, like, laughing. You guys can't see this. She's laughing so hard right now because it's like he's, you know, nonchalantly like, yeah, you could get a 4 or 5 on an AP, but you'll get a C in my class. (laughs) (laughs) Mic drop, people. It's so important, right? It's But it's so important to know that because I think kids learn how to do school, high school, like, to get by and get the grades that they need mm-hmm. to get in order to get mm-hmm. into college. And then they get to college and all of a sudden the professors are like, Oh no, no, no. What you used to do in high school, that's not going to cut it here. My friend, <laughs> like right. you need to understand <laughs> what is actually happening. You know, at, at any college or university that's, you know, even reasonably selective. Uh, so, you know, you may be one of the top students in your high school, but when you get to a good college or university, everybody in your class is going to be one of those top students in high school. And uh, and so you're going there to be challenged and, you know, to learn more and learn it in a better and deeper way. And so that's just what you have to expect. So you have to be open minded about modifying your, your approach to studying, for example. Don't be overconfident about what you know, you know, even how you study. Uh, if you study the way you did in high school, maybe it will work for some classes, but maybe it won't for others. So, mm. you know, if you find yourself not, if a student finds his or herself not succeeding with the way they study, well, then you need help. You know, be mm. willing to change, for example. Uh, ask your professors for advice on how to study, or even better, ask uh, upper division students who have taken a class and done really well uh, for, for their advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's this huge growing literature on like how college students uh, learn and remember and, and forget. 
a couple of people at UCLA called uh, Robert and Elizabeth Bjork, who are leaders in this field. I mean, look up some of their work. Some of it is mm-hmm. possible to a public audience. Uh, and they suggest from their, based on their research, very, you know, different kinds of ways of studying, for example. So try things. And if something doesn't work, try something else. Don't just stick with what you think you know, because you really don't know what you don't know yet. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate sort of the, one of the things that often I bemoan when I work with families in this process is the fact that college is in fact more school and actually much harder school can get really lost in the college counseling process. I think we talk a lot about fit and that's important and environment is important, but ultimately presumably your child is going to college to receive an education. And I think that it's, it it tends to not get discussed enough in the thinking about where to go process. And like so many things we talk about in our coaching with students, it's about kind of approaching the academics, the academics with a growth mindset sort of, and some humility is kind of also what I'm hearing. Are there other best practices and we'll get into some do's and don'ts, I'm sure. But are there other best practices that you would add to this list? Sure. I think I think uh, a really important one, and it kind of, uh, you know, it, it, it falls out of my comments earlier about uh, how your time is much less structured. You know, you'll have more to do, but fewer people telling you how to do it or when to do mm-hmm. it. And that is managing your time. Mm-hmm. I mean, time management is mm-hmm. probably the most important single skill uh, to develop you know, I, I think most high school students have, uh, you know, developed, especially ones that are successful and get into college, uh, are, are, are successful in some aspects of time management. Um, they often have a lot of activities, maybe sports, maybe student organizations or jobs or whatever. So, you know, that requires time management. But uh, in college, you have much more free time. And, and that puts a bigger burden on the student to manage their own time. And Everybody should manage their time according to their priorities. I mean, I guess this is good advice for life, you know, not just for college <laughs> students. But sure. so, yeah, so I, I, and I think that that starts with understanding what your priorities are, what really matters to you as a student, as a person. And, and keeping in mind that, especially during the college years, your priorities are very likely to change. So you, you should reconsider your priorities very often. And, and I'm, I'm not here to tell anybody what the priorities should be, but whatever they are, everybody should define them from themselves and then spend their time accordingly. Don't let other people manage your time for you. you know? Like, for example, if you're living in a residence hall in a dormitory on campus as a first year student and people are pound, your friends are pounding at your door at 1 a.m. and they want you to come out and play, uh, just pretend you're asleep. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you should be asleep then, you know, because that's what you should you're telling yourself that's what I should be doing at one in the morning, you know, for example. Yes. Well, Dr. Uh, Hare, I was like, that's so interesting. I was like, did you know me as undergraduate? Because <laughs> I flunked out of college. I flunked out of USC and uh, my second year. And, you know, it's because exactly that, right? I, I mm. My priorities were having fun and not doing work. And hanging out as much as socializing as much as humanly possible. And that that was a carryover from high school, undoubtedly, right? It's like I didn't want to do work in high school either. And it's certainly like I didn't go to college and all of a sudden be like, well, guess what? Now I'm a studious kid. I, I didn't turn into that. And I think that parents actually have this thought that, like, if we can just get them through high mm-hmm. school, mm-hmm college, they're independent, like they're going to figure it out. Right. And I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. Right. If you've got a senior who's really struggling to manage their time and their grades are really suffering because they cannot prioritize their time and they're not prioritizing their studies, like college is not the right next step for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's good to hear you emphasize that. Oh, well, that's, yeah, a- yeah. that's actually a good segue into, you know, and dad, you've parented many humans. <laughs> well, if you, count, if you count the tens of thousands of students I've taught or, or advised. Right. What was that statistic so. you, you gave us at the start before we started recording? about the- Oh, um, uh, because the biggest class I teach, which is like 800 students. Uh, sorry, USC. Wow. With your, <laughs> I know USC likes to boast about its average, its small <laughs> average. But there are a few big ones. I'm just saying. Uh, well, if you figure the large, 
you know, freshman class I teach and the fact that, um, uh, you know, they're, they're freshmen and there's like 800 students, seven, 800 students. That's better than it was like, it was like 1500 when I first started many years ago. But wow. Oh, wow. Yikes. I know it's crazy. Uh, then um, I, I figured out that at any one time, about one quarter of the undergraduates walking around campus of the 30,000 or so undergraduates have taken a class for me. So I get a lot of, hi, Dr. Herrera, walking across campus. And I nod, uh, you know, uh, appreciatively, but have no idea who they are. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, question I was going to ask you is what, you know, what advice you're talking about a lot of what you're describing about a student who successfully navigates the college environment to me boils down to maturity, right? These sort of aspects of maturity, time management, mm -hmm. some humility, a willingness to be open-minded and self critically self-reflective on your study practices, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. From a parent perspective, since of the three people in on this call, you're the only one who is a parent. <laughs> what would you, you know, what sort of suggestions would you give to parents around how to help grow that kind of kid who can make that transition and be an independent, high-functioning learner. Yeah, yeah. I wish I had, I had figured that out, like, you know, <laughs> a long time ago. But, but yes, I, I think what – I can say a few things as an amateur, you know, because this is not my area of expertise, but I guess I have learned a few things from my successes and failures <laughs> as a parent. Jonathan and I, for example, navigated college very differently. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, arguably both very successfully, right? In different ways, completely dad. different ways. But yeah. <laughs> dad, revisionist history, dad. Is that what I'm hearing, Meredith? <laughs> no, it's true. Oh, it's true. Okay. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Begrudgingly admitting yes. that. Um, yeah. Now he's very successful at what he does, right? I mean, it's, yeah, yep. he find a good, found a good way to, uh, uh, you know, use his innate skills and abilities and develop them in college. In, in maybe a little bit of an unorthodox way, but you know, prepared him very well for life, I think. Anyway, yeah, uh, advice for parenting advice. You know, I, I think it's the things you talked about. It's independence, fostering independence, fostering communication, teaching kids how to interact with adults. And, you know, I mean, you guys are the experts at this, but this has to start, like, at a very early age. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, before they can really talk very well. But certainly by the time they're talking, <laughs> by the mm -hmm. time four or five and can really like articulate what's on their mind. I think it's really important to talk and continuing throughout, you know, their childhood and adolescence to, to teach them how to make decisions, how to live with the consequences of their successes and failures, uh, to learn from their mistakes, uh, to manage mm -hmm. their time, to interact with adults, uh, you know, uh, one of my daughters, uh, Christina, has, has uh, three kids ranging from six to uh, to um, eleven. Yeah, six to eleven. And uh, I was uh, uh, watching the two younger ones, who were six and nine, uh, a couple of weekends ago, and we went to uh, get some lunch at um, uh, I forget, oh Rubio's, uh, uh, Mexican themed kind of taco place. The Baja and, Grill. Yeah. <laughs> It was the, it was the, what do they call it? The coast? I don't know. I don't want to make it a Rubio's commercial, but. <laughs> Rubio's, if you want to sponsor us, you know. <laughs> Darn good tacos and burritos. But anyway, so uh, I, I was ordering and, and uh, my, my nine-year-old uh, granddaughter and, and even my six-year-old grandson, after I put in the order for myself, they stepped up the counter and ordered for their themselves too. And I thought mm -hmm. that, that, that was, that, I, I was about to ask them to order, but they just stepped up and did it anyway. So to see a six-year-old not be afraid to talk to like the August 19-year-old behind the cash, cash register, uh, I, I thought was great. So that kind of, the little things, you know, mm -hmm. if, they, if you're going to go to Target to buy them the like latest uh, like Lego sets, uh, and, and you want to ask, do you have it in stock? Well, have, have every child ask, you know, oh, that's, you know, oh, this is yeah. giving me so many flashbacks. <laughs> uh, but I think I, it's so good. You know, I think, because I think parents think in order to foster these things, they have to have some grand plan mm -hmm. to like prepare their kids for college, but it's really, it's, it's the Daily little, little things, things little right? Things. How do you foster curiosity? You foster curiosity by being curious and mm -hmm. and and modeling that for your kids and and yeah. asking them questions, right? Yeah, you, yeah, foster, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you foster independence by having them do little things, like just ask for the ketchup yourself, <laughs> yeah. right? Like yeah. 
You're at a restaurant, you want ketchup? Okay. You can, when the waitress comes by, you can ask for ketchup, right? Teaching them manners is just a, a deeply ingrained habit. It's, it's just manners, 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 because there's nothing but good things that, that come out of that, right? I mean, right. In, in every aspect of life uh, throughout your life, but you know, certainly in college, just being polite, just using common sense and being polite. You know, we, when you go to a professor's office to talk about, you know, course mm-hmm. material or something, just you don't have to get dressed up. I mean, just come as you are, but, but look them in the eye, you know, uh, turn your phone off. Don't, don't pull the sandwich out of your backpack and start chomping on it when there's a question <laughs> you. Don't, don't take your skateboard with its dirty wheels and lean it against their wall, you know, so it gets marks. Hey, just that kind of thing. I mean, uh, that, that, that's going to, that goes a long way. Uh, yeah. I, so this, this makes me think of like, because you've been doing this for so long, I think it, it would be interesting to hear some of your anecdotes around, you know, common mistakes that you see students make or pitfalls. Like, you know, I'm guessing the kid pulling the sandwich and leaning the skateboard, like that's real life. You, you didn't just pull those out of the air from nowhere, right? <laughs> yes. Or yes. checking their phone uh, in the middle of talking to you, like writing, oh, hold on one sec, let me check, let me write, let me check my texts. Given that the, like, what do you call it, the wheelbase of a typical skateboard is, you know, a certain distance, you know, from one front wheels to the back wheels, uh, very often, in, and certainly in lecture halls, but also in sometimes in professors' offices, you can see a line of marks on the wall, right, about where the, the skateboard, the, the front wheels will lean when you set it and lean against the wall. Yeah, anyway. Uh, so, oh, yeah. So, you know, you know, be honest and be honest with 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 the faculty and with staff, you know, with support staff, student affairs staff and, you know, whoever it is, uh, the housing office, the parking office or wherever on campus. Uh, be honest with them. We all are there to help you. Right. But in order to help you, we have to know the facts. We have to know that you are dealing with us mm-hmm. with the same integrity that, that we're trying to extend to you. And so don't. Yeah, don't lie about stuff. You know, if don't, don't, oh, here come the anecdotes. Don't don't ask to be excused from an exam because you're sick when in reality you were uh, having a romantic affair with your doctor in in Mexico. Oh, wow. Dang. Uh, (laughs) Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, the heat. I'm just saying. Well, if you're going to have your doctor send you a note explaining you were sick, don't have it on the hotel stationery from Ensenada, you know. A, a hand at least be a, be a good liar <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to again um ask to be excused from an exam uh because you're 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 in grief because your grandfather died don't send proof here i'm doing air quotes that you can't see don't send proof in the form of a photograph of an old man in a bed and then an accompanying photograph of an empty bed <laughs> which wow. which wow. is a little it's a little morbid yeah an empty bed with a suit draped over the chair next to it, that being the suit they were going to bury him with. Yeah, oh. I know. It, you just see the looks on your face. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my. Oh, this, this I'm happened. not surprised, but yeah. it's still shocking. <laughs> right? Little hints, when you take a picture with your cell phone and you send it to your professor, there is data attached to the image that shows where the picture was taken, when it was taken, uh, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. I, oh know about I know about that. So I did a little detective work and found out that the dates on the photo did match the supposed demise of the grandfather. Uh, oh, wow. Well, oh, you're a sleuth. No. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, you know, uh, yeah. yeah. So what, uh, wow. what, was, what was the question? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what, are, what, are, what are common, you know, when interacting with professors or in the academic setting, what are sort of common... Faux pas. Mis- yeah, mistakes. Uh, I, I'm loving these anecdotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Faux pas. You know, um, make an effort. Yeah, don't skip class. Don't don't miss regular assignments, no matter how trivial they may seem. Like, you know, I, I give uh, weekly little online quizzes to my students that are worth not much, like, you know, one, one or 2% of the total grade for the class. But, you know, they're, they're an opportunity to, to learn and, and answer the kind of advanced questions I ask on real exams. So, do those, you know, don't skip class, don't skip labs. Uh, in a small class or a, a, a laboratory type situation, your absence might actually be noticed. You know, if, if there's 100 or 300 students in a big lecture hall, we probably won't notice that you're missing. But still, later when you come to us, yeah, if you should come to us for ask, to ask for a letter of recommendation or some kind of accommodation, you know, like 
some kind of break because you had to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're going to look up what you did. And it's hard to to justify you know, somehow boosting your grade uh, because of some, you know, circumstances beyond your control. If we see you didn't do half of the half of the 15 quizzes that, you know, you just make the effort. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so don't don't skip out on stuff. Uh, it's better to do everything and not and only do it at a mediocre level than to just skip stuff because it shows us you don't really care. You know, mm-hmm. We care, so we expect mm-hmm. you to care too. We we sort of assume that you're there to get educated, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what you're talking what you're talking about really, you know, and I emphasize this with parents and students so often. You're talking about character, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it's not about. I think. What I see a lot, and I'm sure Meredith would agree, is that kids can be really transactional about school. And so can parents, quite frankly. You know, families, entire families can be really transactional about school. Like, A equals B, and I'm not going to do it. If it doesn't mean I get it improves my grade, I'm not going to do it because it doesn't matter. And I have this conversation with kids all the time where I say, it's not about the grade. It's about who you want to show up as in class Mm -hmm. and in the world, right? (laughs) Like, that's the thing that people will notice whether or not you get points for it, <laughs> right? You don't, you may not get points on the, on the final for it, but you will get life points for it, you yes. know, character yes. points. Yeah. And that's the stuff I am always trying to emphasize. And it's so important because kids think like, oh, my teacher doesn't care. They don't notice. My professor's mm-hmm. not going to know. It's a lecture hall of 500 people, right? They're not going to know if I don't come to class or not. But what you're saying is you do. <laughs> I love it. You do, right? It does matter. People do notice these little things add up. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, you can look at it this way. You're taking a class from somebody who has devoted their life, their career to academics and to learning and teaching. Yes. And for you to mm-hmm. not show that you care about that is like, okay, uh, yeah. what are you doing here? You know, <laughs> no, we're operating under the assumption, which may be a fantasy that, that students are there to learn. So they should not like dissuade us of that opinion by, <laughs> by asking, you know, by <laughs> indicating otherwise, for example, uh, although we, mm-hmm. I, I think everybody I know remains very objective when it comes to assigning grades. You know, we assign grades based on, you know, what it says on the syllabus about how we're going to assign grades. But yet, subjectivity, you know, especially if it's a borderline case or you're asking for of some course. kind of break, does does creep into it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, don't ask questions like, "What do I have to do to get a a grade of X?" Mm-hmm. Right. Whatever mm-hmm. you know, what specifically do I have to do? Or if you uh, once the course is over, don't immediately email. You know, our spring semester just ended a couple of weeks ago, and I must have gotten a dozen emails, all from my first year class, not not the juniors and seniors who don't do this. You know, uh, I must have gotten a couple dozen emails saying, uh, you know, how close was I to a grade of X? Not a B minus, but how close was I to a B? And you know, barring, I, I will check the. You know, spreadsheets to make sure we added everything up carefully, but you're not making a good impression because the grade you weren't is a grade you were. That's not you know, something we did. Uh, so, yeah. I think that's a that's such an important point. And you mentioned a word earlier, syllabus, that I want to go back to. But one of the biggest transitions I see from high school settings to college is a lot of high schools and secondary education, I think, unfortunately, there are a lot of second, third, and fourth chances there's extra credit. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of negotiation, there's (laughs) retakes, there's Mm -hmm. redos Mm -hmm. and students have become used to not having, in some cases, I think that can make sense, but it often, it it sort of gets students used to this idea that you don't have to put forth your full effort the first time out. There's always going to be uh, room for negotiation and the fact of the matter is in college, that just doesn't exist. And you mentioned, Dad, a syllabus, which most students know about in high school. You get into your AP English language and comp class and your teacher has a syllabus. But I often show the students that I work with the difference between a high school syllabus and a college syllabus. So I know that this is a a topic you're passionate about. Would you mind sharing with the people a little bit more about syllabi and why we should all care about it more? <laughs> it's, oh my God, I have, I'm learning something new. You're passionate about syllabi? I can't oh wait to hear gosh. this. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm so passionate about that I've even researched whether the correct plural is syllabi or syllabuses. 
And <clears throat> apparently it's changing. Yeah. Oh. But syllabi is like an old fashioned, but still correct way to do it. But syllabus is just like the new way. You know? Oh, like the Oxford comma. I saw a quote in something <laughs> I looked up that said, uh, yeah, like that. it's like people that say syllabi are the same ones that to put two spaces after a period. Yeah. Oh, Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Meredith, stop that. <laughs> She's like, yeah. <laughs> I say syllabi because I'm an old real. guy. It's, it's okay. Uh, but so yeah, the syllabus, and I'll be happy to share with you guys later, which you can certainly use in your in your coaching and advising. Uh, one of one of my syllabi, which are, are pretty elaborate. So, so syllabus in college is like a binding contract. It tells you everything you need to know about the class, uh, and both you as a student and and we as instructors have to adhere to what's in there. You know, it explains the learning goals, the lecture topics, you know, the dates and lectures times of all the exams, um, the reading assignments, uh, all the course policies, how you're going to be graded, any accommodations for illness or emergencies or student athletic stuff, you know, whatever. Over the, yes, I am <laughs> passionate about syllabi. Over the years, I have revised my syllabi uh, to contain almost everything that a student needs to know. Every time a student asks me a new question, it goes in the syllabus for next year. So, uh, yeah, my syllabi, uh, like for my first year class, is like 13 pages of single space goodness. <laughs> it's all in there. You do so have we, to send us a sample, please. I, I will. Yeah. Okay. Please, right please, I would, you say, would you say that that's fairly, that is a representative sample of a lot of college um, syllabi? I would say that the content is very representative. My, my summary of what's in there is very representative. Mine are kind of on the long side. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, I, I put a lot, you know, I teach mostly, uh, you know, courses that, that pre-health students, you know, pre-med, pre-dental, pre-pharmacy mm -hmm. students take, and they're very interested in their grades. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's important for their applications to professional school after they graduate and so on. So the grades really matter. So partly because of that, uh, you know, I, I think it's only fair to really spell out what's expected of them, um, mm -hmm. you know, how they're going to be graded and so on. So, yes, I would say that the content is this pretty much the same in all college courses, content of the syllabi, but the the heft of the thing, maybe I'm, I'm kind of at the long end, uh, you know, for various reasons. But uh, yeah, so read the damn syllabus, guys. <laughs> Whatever question you're thinking of asking, it's probably in there. So when you email us and you haven't read the syllabus and you're asking a question that is in two thirds of the way down page nine, it's like, did you not read of the course. syllabus? Yeah. yeah. Oh, and by the way, when you email your professors, please identify who you are, what class you're in, if there are multiple sections of that class, what section you're in, mm. uh, any necessary background information. Don't just make us look you up. Right. Last spring, mm -hmm. I taught probably over 900 students, and it is really annoying when someone says, ask, ask me a question, via email usually, and I don't know what class they're in. Mm -hmm. which, you know, I got to look right. them up. Right. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It so. requires, it requires young people to be considerate and thinking about more than just their own experience. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And that takes, yeah. it's a habit and it's a practice. It's not something that you just know right away. And uh -huh. sure. you got to get coached on it when you're younger. It's an aspect of courtesy of, of being polite, right. uh, you right. know, and, and of being professional. Uh, mm -hmm. most of our students want to go on to some kind of professional career, you know, uh, they, they think about their future as a, as what profession they'll be in, not, not just what job they'll be doing. Mm -hmm. And so there are certain you know, expectations in professional life and, and communication and, and, and responsibility and communication and things like that. And it, it's, it's essential to really hone those skills while in college. And there's lots of opportunities, um, to do that. I think the takeaway for me, if I put myself in the position of a parent listening to this podcast and this content right now, is to actively seek out experiences for your child and help your child seek out experiences, more importantly, that take them outside of themselves, where they are in responsible to other people, whether that's having a job or they volunteer, where they are challenged to think beyond the self. Because 
some of the some of the our culture in in secondary education, and I think to some degree in the waters that Kathy and I swim in in the Bay Area, which I think tends to be a pretty competitive environment at the secondary level. It's a lot of what is my personal achievement going to look like? It's it's a lot of focus on self. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hearing is that to be successful academically, first of all, college is a lot harder than high school. It is highly probable that within your first year of college, you're going to run into some academic situation beyond your your native talent, beyond your grasp. And so at that moment, you need to know how to, one, seek out resources, be willing to seek out resources and do it in a way that has is respectful, professional, mature, has integrity. Um, and, you know, I think it's, I, Kathy and I are constantly talking about values and it, to me, th- this conversation just comes down to character and values. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, I think I, you know, that breadth of experience, even for little kids, I think is is really important. You know, parents should look, I think, for opportunities to get them out of their home neighborhood. You know, uh, mm-hmm. uh, encouraging them to meet new people, explore mm-hmm. diverse cultures. You know, we're, we're in LA here, which is a very diverse place, and uh, understanding that diversity is is, I think, really important. You, you can start with food, right? I mean, there's all kinds of you know different kinds of diverse food stuffs that one can get. Um, appreciation of art, you know, uh, lots of lots of reading, 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 and more reading. Um, that's all. That's all good stuff. Doctor Hara, you're so cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. He's so cool. Wait, I do have one question that we get asked a lot. Yes. Well, not that I. I think that something that comes up a lot is around research and should students do research in college, and that's usually how it's framed. It's like, should I do research? Uh, very open ended, and so I'm <laughs> curious because I know making research available to undergraduate students has been something that you've been really thoughtful around in your career. You know, what, when is research appropriate for an undergraduate? What should one consider when looking for research opportunities or how might one approach a professor if they are interested in their area of research? Yeah, yeah, really good question. It so happens that I teach an entire course on the subject of <laughs> research <laughs> and how to get involved, uh, which runs about 40 or 50 students, which to me is kind of a cozy, intimate size. Uh, but starting next fall, it's going to be required for all the biology majors. So it's going to like blossom to like three or 400. I'm not quite oh, sure wow. I'm going to handle that. Yeah, they're going to have to take it. Uh, but anyway, yeah. So, uh, I mean, the first thing is maybe don't think about research during your first year in college. Give your, Well, first of all, you may not be at an, you may be at a research university. So there's like 50 or so universities in the United States that, you know, are research universities that have large amounts of grant support from federal government, from private agencies, and where the faculty mostly are, are hired and promoted and get goodies based on their research and other scholarly and creative work that they do. Mm-hmm. Then outside of that, there are hundreds of other uh, schools that uh, where uh, research may be just part of what the faculty do, or maybe they don't do any, but they did in the past, you know, uh, to, to get the qualifications, you know, the degrees and experiences that in order to get, get those positions as faculty. Um, and, and so the research is something that's available uh, to I, I would say in most colleges and, and universities um, at, at some level, and it may be very intense at the research university level. But anyway, yeah, so I would say the first thing is to don't do it as a freshman, as a first-year student, because you got enough to, on your plate, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're probably away from home for the first time. You're taking four classes, let's say, which seem like, well, four is not very many. I had six in high school, but no, four is way more work than the six you had in high school on a given day. Uh, even though they only meet like two or three times a week, you know, there's, there's adjustments, there's, you know, personal adjustments, you know, you're, you're getting along with your roommates, defining your priorities, you know, making new friends. There's a lot to do as a first year student. So maybe don't do it right away. Eh, occasionally it's a good idea, but so maybe the second year is a good time to start because research is very time consuming. You know, it, it progresses slowly, which is one of the things you you could learn. I mean, maybe that is, you'll hate research right? <laughs> because of those things, you know, I, in my career, I love sitting in the dark room with my microscopes for eight hours and not talking to anybody. That's like, good time. <laughs> that's like good times for me, right? <laughs> Some of the students I've taken in my lab discovered they hate it. It's like, oh my God, where's the sun? I need to talk to somebody, you know, so it's important to learn that about yourself. But yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, in a nutshell, I, I, I talk to the faculty 
if there are courses that introduce you to research, uh, then um, you know, consider taking those. Uh, but even in your first year, talk to the faculty uh, in uh, who teach courses that you could potentially be interested in doing research. Just ask them. Just just ask them. Uh, the faculty are a great source of advice for all kinds of things. Go to their office hours. You know, most faculty will will post office hours, you know, a couple of different hours during the week at least, where students can come in and ask about course material, ask to, them to re-explain things that were talked about in class, or to ask for other kinds of questions, you know, um, advising type questions, career-related decisions, whether to get mm -hmm. involved in research or not. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, tell the faculty about problems that you've had that, that maybe they could help you with, they could refer mm -hmm. you to some source of help. I mean, in general, at colleges and universities, there's way more help available, way mm -hmm. more professional help available than there is in high school in mm -hmm. general. But you have to ask for it, right? I mean, we don't see you every day. We don't know mm -hmm. you personally, usually. And so we're not going to notice that, you know, so-and-so uh, has seems a little off today. We're not going to notice that at all. You have to speak mm -hmm. up. But once you do speak up and bring it to somebody's attention, then you, you'll be showered with, with help. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, research is... Um, it should only be in a field that you uh, are interested in. You should only do it if you like it. It's not necessary for anything. A lot of pre-medical, pre-health students think that I have to do research because it's part of the checklist of things I need to do to get into medical school. No, you know, between research, community service, good grades, other kinds of things, we don't need some of all that stuff. Uh, you know, volunteer experience in, in clinics if it's a health profession. You don't need all those things. You, mm -hmm. you need, if you're not going to do them all, then do the ones that really appeal to you, that match your interests, and do them deeply, engage deeply. I, I, you know, yeah. I think people would much rather see an application for somebody who would really delve deeply into one of those things rather than mm -hmm. somebody who's going to dabble in all three. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, only do it if it if it if you like it and if it makes sense to you. And the only way you're really going to find out if you like it is to actually try it. But if you don't like it, then try something else, some other field, or just drop it like a hot potato and spend your time doing something else. <laughs> I love that your dad's advice for research and a lot of the advice that he talks about, he's shared on this entire episode is advice that we, it's the, it's the same stuff that we coach kids on, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's really so mm -hmm. similar. There's not a lot of I think people think, you know, with the college admissions process, there's some mystery around mm -hmm. it or, but it's really, I think it's exactly what you just said. Like do things that you think are interesting, you know, do them a lot. And if you don't do like it, drop it, like, drop it, like it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like you don't have to do, you don't have to do all the things. It doesn't, it's not for everybody. Right. Research is not even at right. the high school level. We're seeing more kids trying to do research and I'm like, why, why? <laughs> oh, I know. Working in labs because their parents are a professor or, you know, there's, I just see more and more of that. Let me tell you, that was you not my thoughts. experience. <laughs> that's not your experience. I didn't work you in know, a lab because my, I, my I was a high percent. No, I when I write letters of recommendation for students for like med school applications, uh, I see their whole resume with all their history. And I would say the vast majority of the time, when there's a student who started high school, uh, who started research, say scientific research in high school or or clinical volunteer work in high school, it's I, I, I ask about their parents, and sure enough, their parents, one or both of them, are, are doctors or professors, right? So the the number of, of non-professor uh, parented, non-doctor parented high school kids who get involved in these things is exceedingly rare. Which, well, when you find somebody like that, is great because they they you know put out a lot, showed a lot of initiative to get those positions. But I'm not terribly impressed if you know dad's a surgeon, mom's an obstetrician, and you know they they the, the kids started volunteering with their buddy down the hall in the clinical building uh, mm -hmm. in their junior year of high school. It's like, yeah, come on, you were handed that opportunity on a silver platter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love I like it. Your dad. I know he just tells like it is. I love he it. Tells it like it is. But it's also about being intentional, being purposeful, and you got to kind of earn it, my friends. Young people, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to you got to earn it. Yeah, 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 yeah. A um, couple of bits of advice in a big lecture hall, sit in the front, first couple of rows. First three mm -hmm. rows, maybe. Don't go much farther back than that. A uh, professor won't recognize you, and you'll be distracted by what everybody in front of you is doing. Uh, you know, everybody has laptops nowadays, and, and you'd like to, we like to think that they're taking notes or annotating the slides we give them ahead of time. But uh, I know that some of them are shopping for shoes and checking their social media, <laughs> uh, you know. So if you don't want to be distracted by that, sit near the front. 
uh, be polite. Uh, what else? Um, ask lots of questions. We love questions, right? That's what we're there for to answer questions. You know, we are professional question answerers. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Mary says, oh boy. <laughs> uh, yeah. When I, I've told the story before, but, but, uh, you know, uh, Meredith and her brother, Jonathan, uh, used to like all little kids, they were naturally curious and they'd ask questions and I'd give them these long winded explanations. And then they got, uh, to a certain point where they realized that they, you know, if they did ask question, it would trigger this, this like basically long lecture, boring <laughs> discourse. So uh, in the transition period, before they completely stopped asking questions, they would sometimes notice something, get curious, and blurt out a question. But before I give, it, give an answer, they would say, no, 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 never mind. I don't know. I don't want to know why the sky is blue. Just forget <laughs> I said it. You know? Well, this is the danger of having a dad who actually knows the answer to the question, why is the sky blue? Because most parents are like, because it is, because there's some molecules and stuff, and they're doing some things, and it makes the sky blue. And you're going to go into this lengthy scientific explanation, right? Like, why did why did the waves, why are some waves bigger than others? You're like, well, <laughs> I can tell you exactly why that is. I have this vivid memory of being in first grade, and I had to do, I think it was first or second grade, and I had to do some kind of, you know, little first grade or second grade math problem. And I think I was struggling. And so I remember asking you for help and you helped me and you gave me sort of the like first, second grade way to do the thing. But then like I, I, some, you were like excited by the possibility of doing this in a more complicated way. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh my God. teaching me basically uh, pre-algebra and I was like dad I just uh, I just yeah. wanted to do my math homework You're like, can I just do some long division leave me alone <laughs> there was something else I wanted to uh add uh oh yeah I think it's very important to learn as soon as you set foot on campus or shortly thereafter, learn about the definitions and examples of academic dishonesty mm. in college, because it's a very serious topic. Uh, you know, we, we take academic integrity really seriously yep. because it, it, it's, it's what we're all about in our teaching and our research and our interactions with, with, you know, fellow faculty and staff. And uh, it, it's, uh, there, there's aspects of it, like, like, you know, there's a, out now cheating on exams that's one thing but but also things that aren't so obvious like like yeah. what exactly is plagiarism and how you commit it um, mm -hmm. how can you misuse the electronic resources that that the university provides you uh, you know the access to course management systems and email and all that kind of stuff uh, what are what is copyright and what is intellectual property it's not cool to like for example take your professor's notes, which probably contain you know, images from copyright images from a textbook publisher in them and resell them on the internet to make a few bucks. That is actually a very serious violation of academic integrity that could get you suspended or expelled mm -hmm. from school. So really, you know, things which seem kind of innocuous, mm -hmm. learn what they are and then don't do those things. Yeah, and I think especially in the era of COVID and online learning, what I'm hearing anecdotally from my friends who work in schools is that cheating is pretty rampant. And in some ways, like teachers aren't getting the opportunity to like, like, I think the lines are blurry because of <laughs> online learning and, and kids are like, well, is, is that cheating? You know, like they, they don't really know, uh, yeah. the, the, the definitions and the differences. And so they're all a little bit stunted. And so I imagine that colleges are dealing with a lot more of a lot more issues with academic dishonesty because mm -hmm. the kids are kind of showing mm -hmm. up as young adults and being mm -hmm. like, well, I did that all through COVID and it wasn't a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So I mean, you can probably, a student could probably get away with it for quite a while, but uh, you know, if you get caught, it's, it's a really serious violation. I mean, you know, there's right. like major consequences that come out of it. So it's just right. best not to do those it's things. Not a I think slap. that's the biggest yeah. difference is that, mm -hmm. you know, if you cheat in high school, you know, cause Kathy and I both worked in positions where we're sort of the person responsible for discipline in some ways. And a lot of times those are treated as learning moments, slap on the wrists, mm -hmm. you know, there's some restorative, uh, action to take. It has to be very egregious and repetitive in order for it to rise to the level of like a suspension or expulsion in a, in a secondary setting. Almost always. There's, I'm sure there's mm -hmm. exceptions. Yeah. That is so not the case in college. Mm -hmm. There's no, it's, it, it, it's like, bye. 
you know, <laughs> you, get, you fail. Do, do you have a good story around that, Dad? Not to scare everybody, but you know, sometimes a little fear is a good motivator. <laughs> uh, let's see. Cheating. Well, you know, uh, let's see. Good examples of cheating. Well, there was a time that a student that during an exam got uh, uh, asked to go to the restroom because uh, they, they felt sick to their stomach. And it was just something a little squirrely about this. So uh, it, it, was a, it was a woman. Uh, and so I said, sure, because, you know, I mean, although I wish students would like, you know, do, as I tell my grandchildren, final potty before they take the exam. Uh, <laughs> uh, still, things happen. So that's fine. You know, I always say yes. Uh, but I have a funny feeling there's some odd about this. So I asked uh, one of our uh, female um, teaching assistants who was helping proctor the exam. After the student came back, I said, could you just go into the ladies' room and see what's going on in there? And the, uh, this student had completely outfitted one of the stalls as a study chamber. There was, like, notes taped to the walls and uh, books in there and kind of stuff. And wow. she, she, kept the door, she kept the door locked uh, so the other people wouldn't go in there and mess up her, her setup. Uh, and so she crawled under the door when she needed to go in there. Wow. And, uh, and actually put a pair of shoes on the floor so she just, like, look underneath it. <laughs> Somebody was there. So that's kind of egregious. That's a that's a I would that classifies ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) No, at the other at the other extreme there was, you know, uh, kind of a sad case of a a student that's something I mentioned before, a student who had uh, taken my lecture notes, which I distributed ahead of time uh, via our course management system. And um, and they have, they have figures from our textbook, uh, which I can use because you know, I have permission from the publisher of the textbook, but it's, it's their you know, material. And I have my own, which you would call intellectual property, you know, the, the notes and, and everything in there. But, uh, and they sold them to a, uh, you know, one of these mm. many websites that will buy your notes and, and uh, mm. you know, pay, them, pay you for them and then charge other students to access them. Um, so when I found out about that in a kind of an egregious way, uh, mm-hmm. I, uh, I said, that doesn't seem right. So I, I looked up in our voluminous, multi-paragraphed uh, statement of academic, on academic integrity. Uh, sure enough, that's, that's a misuse of the electronic resources of the university and, you know, inappropriate mm-hmm. uh, and subject to sanction. And so finding that out, and given how blatant this was, I, I felt I had to pursue it. So I reported the student to the the Office of Student Affairs that handles these, you know, adjudicates these kinds of things. And it was a big deal. They got suspended for it. And, and they were just dumbfounded. They, they couldn't, the student couldn't imagine mm-hmm. what was wrong with this. These are my notes. Why can't I sell them? Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Those, not your notes. Those are not yeah, your you notes. Can't just, you can't just take stuff that other people produced and sell it as if it's your own. I mean, that's, that's like, that's wrong. So I have many stories. I don't know how much time you have. <laughs> I got some Do you have any stories. any really heartwarming good stories you want to share? I yes, I have a lot of those. I mean, I always appreciate. Maybe it's an extension of courtesy and and, and just consider, being considerate. I always appreciate when students, when former students, you know, uh, that, that took class with me and graduated, moved on to the next thing, write back to me sometimes years later and and just express their appreciation for what I taught them or advice I gave them. You know. Uh, like, I really appreciate you, you know, physiology class I took from you when I got into medical school. I, I, I knew the subject and, and took physiology there. I knew it better than anybody else and blah, 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 you know, uh, not to brag, but just, you know, be, mm-hmm. be appreciative, express your appreciation mm-hmm. if, if it's appropriate. And, and just because it's been years, don't, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's very uh, you know, heartwarming, I guess, is, is good or satisfying to to hear, hey, I just graduated, graduated from medical school and I'm moving on to my residency and I really want to appreciate the help you gave me or just students who work really hard, um, who overcome obstacles and, and, and seek my help. I'm, I'm currently writing a letter of recommendation for a student applying to medical school who was raised in one of the San Joaquin Valley little towns there for people who don't know California. It's a big agricultural area with a bunch of little towns and agriculture and farming is a big business there. And these towns are, I mean, you know, there's the rich you know, robber mm-hmm. barons that, that own the ranches and farms and so on, <laughs> the multinational corporate executives. But there's also a lot of poor people, a lot of farm workers. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot of poverty and mostly, you know, uh, Mexican-American or Central American families that, that do that kind of work. And this was a, a guy whose father was a farm worker. His parents were born in Mexico and he was born here. But father was a farm worker. His mother was a house cleaner, you know, uh, very 
poor. And, and he just, you know, overcame a, a lot of the school, the high school wasn't very good there. Overcame a lot of advantages, was a top student and just a delightful kid in, in, in my class. It got really good grades at USC and uh, got admitted to every medical school he applied to and so, so on and so forth. He recently wrote to me, you know, would keep me up to date on what's going on. And it was just great. Mm. I mean, he, he had to work about 20 hours a week during college to, mm. to uh, you know, so just students who can handle that, who can overcome disadvantages, first generation to go to college and all that kind of thing, uh, I, and seek help. I mean, he was not at all reticent to ask for advice and, mm -hmm. and even, you know, mentoring kind of advice. Um, and I was happy to give it to him. So those kinds of cases are, are yeah, they, they make up for all the students that are hiding notes in the bathroom stalls. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a story. <laughs> oh, this is so great. I, I feel, I don't know. I feel, I feel so happy. <laughs> I'm like, I feel so, this is such a lovely conversation. I love your dad, Meredith. He's got great energy. Yeah, I'm an energy dad's person. great. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't, I shouldn't call me like, yeah, exactly. With, like, humor. Yes. He's more calm than I am. Very reassuring. Yes. No, I, I feel. That comes I from think... my mom. Remember grandma? Grandma was very calm. My grandma. Yeah. Grandma was very calm. She yeah. Was very I, feel a, I feel like a reassuring presence on our podcast today, Meredith. <laughs> Thanks, dad. But there's, there's, there's lots of, I mean, you know, there'll be faculty that have kind of toxic personalities. I don't mean everybody's a, a warm, fuzzy, you know, avuncular wonderful resource there'll be people that you get along with people that you have an affinity to and people that you won't but that's why you got to shop around you got to go to professors office hours you got to get to know them ask them questions mm. because you'll hit it off with some people and not with others but to find somebody who can advise you or mentor you or give you career advice i mean not like advice you know still what course to take next semester although we can do that but just like how do i prepare for this thing i want to do the rest of my life or how do I solve this problem? You know, the housing office says I can't switch roommates, but, you know, my roommate hates me and is bullying me. And, and I, I know who to call in the housing office to get that fixed. You know, that, those kinds of things. Uh, it, it, it's it also you should be shopping for writers of letters of recommendation from the <laughs> from the first class you take in college. Right. At some point in your third or fourth year, you're going to need letters for something a job, an mm -hmm. application to graduate school or professional school or something. So start shopping. We know you're doing that. We know you're schmoozing with us because, <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, right. uh, but you'll find people uh, that, you know, really care about the undergraduate experience and, and really want to help you. Not, not everybody, and you won't hit it off with everybody, but but finding one or two is, is like really golden, I think, you know. I think USC needs to sponsor us for this episode, Meredith, because your dad just did the best representation. Like you just represented USC so well. Like USC should be so proud to have you as one of their freshman professors, because like you said, I don't think everybody looks at their, takes their teaching responsibility um, at a research university as seriously, right? Like some people are there to do the research and they're like, well, my, my graduate assistants will do the actual, the other stuff, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm just going to show up for the lecture and do the thing. Right. And it, and what I'm hearing from you is real care and concern. And um, that's know, your, I mean, that's mentorship. your, I mean, that's your MO. You're, <laughs> <laughs> it's the, that's the word on the street about you, dad. Uh, when I was in college, you know, I had so many friends that took my dad's classes and first they had, you know, when, at some point, inevitably we'd make the connection that's like, oh, you're that, you're that Dr. Her? And like, yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> and, you know, it, inevitably the, you know, his classes are really hard, but he's really fair and, we, and, and we find him funny. Um, <laughs> and I, I think that's so important, the undergraduate experience and what you're saying that sort of, you know, you did big research in your time, but you're, you you've really, I, it's from my observation, you can correct me if I'm wrong, dad, like you've become very passionate about the, the art of teaching. And I also want to just name, I also think it's just, and this is just to brag on you a little bit, you know, I, I think it's also thinking about that kid you were mentioning from the San Joaquin Valley, like how powerful it must've been for him to also have a professor who looks like him, you know, who shares sort of a cultural background, you know, different obviously, but Mexican-American professors in the sciences, you know, maybe not overwhelming numbers. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, that representation 
is really important. Also really powerful for a student who maybe is in a university environment where maybe they didn't come from a prominent high school and they didn't have all of the resources, the tutoring and the prep and the things, right? I just think that's also something that's really powerful. Yeah. Sad, sadly, the number of, you know, minorities at the higher levels of academia are, are way you know pitifully low. Well, when I got hired at USC, there was, I was the one Hispanic person in all of the sciences. Uh, and there was also one guy in the engineering school. That was in it. All of the sciences? In all the sciences. Yeah. There's well, a this lot was, of sciences. This was a long time ago, but uh, I'm not counting the, the the medical school, but I don't know about that, but just, you know, on the main campus. So yeah, no, it's, it's, um, I don't want to go get too sentimental, but Mayor knows that my father, her, her, her grandfather, you know, overcame a lot of adversity. Uh, he was born in, in, in California, but his parents are from Mexico, and, and he overcame a lot of adversity to make really something of himself. He became a vice president of a big corporation, uh, ultimately overcame a lot of prejudice. And I do feel some kind of responsibility, although I, I was not disadvantaged as a kid. You know, I, I, you know, I do feel some responsibility to mm-hmm. represent and, and help students who who maybe need a little bit more help than, than others. Mm. Yeah. Isn't Meredith? that so nice? Yes. I let, I'm like, now I know where your heart comes from, Meredith. You're so good. Well, your dad is so good. I know your mom is too. You know, you have amazing parents. So, um, well, it's, yeah. it's been amazing. I know. Yeah, I, so I, I've had a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on our episode. I mean, this is, uh, you know, it's probably going to be a longer episode than usual, but filled with really useful insights for parents and students transitioning to college because we don't, I don't think we have this conversation enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we spend so mm-hmm. much time talking about getting into college. We don't spend a lot of time actually talking about what happens and what needs to happen when you get there, mm-hmm. right? And it's, it is a different world and the expectations are different and you need to show up a little bit differently than like potentially, right. Than you have yeah. in high school. Um, so this is great. Thank you so much yeah. for being here with us today. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, no, you're more than welcome. I, 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 I had a good time. It was fun. And I think the way you summarize it, it was, was really apt. It was, that was, that was perfect. Yay. Yay. My dad's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> How was my summary? Was that good? (laughs) That was Meredith's completely unbiased opinion of me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, folks, we'll be back with another episode soon. Um, Thanks, Dr. Herrera, and hopefully we will maybe have you back on again, sharing some more insights about being a college student. I I would love to. I have many pages of notes here, actually. I didn't get to about (laughs) half of them, so... I love it. I'm, I'm waving my notes at the camera. He is waving his notes at the camera, and they're single spaced. And I think there's about 13 pages, and there's some policies in there as well. Okay, great. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. Okay, good. Thanks, Dad. Okay, you're welcome. Have a good day. Um, Meredith, guess what? What, Kathy? We just finished an entire season of our podcast. What? How do you Seriously? Feel about that? mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, it's we did so a whole... fun. I know. We released 18 episodes. Dang. <laughs> Look at us. That's amazing. I'm so I'm it's been such a fun, exciting season one. I hope also families and parents and kids have found it helpful and useful and full of funny anecdotes and good information. And that they, they really have like stepped into our friendship too, right? Like <laughs> Oh boy, Hopefully. there's not a lot of choice in the matter, I suppose, if they're listening. <laughs> I hope that you've also feel like you've gone on a little, you know, journey with me and Meredith, just in terms of what we do for a living and how we are with each other and, and our mutual love and respect for one another. Because I think for me, that's like the thing that I love the most about this podcast is that I get to do it with you. Oh my God. I can't. I know. It's just, it really is the light of my life every single week when we have our podcast recording sessions together. I know. When Um, it shows up on my calendar, I'm like, yeah, I get to see Meredith today. And the good news is we will be back for season two. And if you are listening and you have topics that you really want us to talk on, or maybe you heard us mention something in one of our season one episodes that you'd like us to go into more depth, we always are looking for feedback and information about what content works best for you. 
Yeah, and in our next season, you know, we've recorded a few episodes already, so stay tuned for great content. We have a nutritionist who's going, who specializes in teen nutrition and disordered eating who's joining us. We have a few students who are going to share their journeys through the college process and just, you know, being an adult now in the world and how, how what their reflections on their teenage self and actually talk about all the shit that they didn't tell their parents when they were in high school. So that's coming. And, you know, like Meredith said, we'd love to hear your suggestions on what would be helpful. And if I can just throw out an ask, you can help us get more subscribers and get more listeners by, of course, sharing our podcast. But you can also follow us if you are not following us yet on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Please follow us. And if you want to really level up your support, you can actually write us a review. Uh, We would love that, too, if you could just take a few minutes to do that. Uh, We are trying to grow our podcast. We are trying to grow our audience and our reach, and we can't do that without your support. So please do that, and we'll see you, and we'll be back in late August slash early September for our second season second season that is a wrap thanks everyone thanks for listening to another episode of shit your teenagers won't tell you if you like what you're hearing and you have friends with teenagers please share it with one of them you can check out this episode and others on our website wespeakteen.com and we want to know what you want to know so if you have questions or hot topics that you want us to cover email us at hello at wespeakteen.com